0: Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed
1: Marks. Welcome to Digital Voices. Super excited about this episode because we talk a lot about digital, but now we're going to talk about digital and design. Design is, I always say, digital without design is like a broken promise. So... Really excited to have Neil Gomes with us. He's like one of the foremost experts, I think, in this particular area because he's been talking and doing design and experience for many, many years while it's just becoming vogue today. So we're going to learn a lot from Neil. But before we get there, I want to chat with DJ Megan. And Megan, have you thought much about design in healthcare or the influence of design in healthcare? As far as user experience goes, I've thought about the design of websites, apps, and portals, but I'm really interested to learn more and listen in to the conversation between you and Neil today. Yeah, so you're going to hear it directly from, again, who I believe is one of the world's leading experts in this area. So we'll jump right into it. So I'll give a brief introduction to Neil, and then we'll jump right in. But Neil, is an executive. He's a digital mastermind in design, just a general leader in healthcare and beyond. He is currently the System Senior Vice President for Digital and Human Experience at Common Spirit Health.
0: And we go back a few years, but first, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Ed, and thank you for having me. That was a great introduction. <laughs> I don't think I could have done better myself. So thank you very much.
1: You know, it's true. It's well-deserved because like we're going to get into this, but it's true. This this whole concept of experience of design it is now, people are starting to talk about it, but you've been talking about it for years. It's It's been a key to everything that you've done and, and why you're so successful. And the first time we met was actually sort of an experience at was hosted by the Cleveland Clinic. And I knew you were coming in. Of course, we knew each other already. And I'm like, Neil, you need to come in and talk to my team. That's what you did. You were very gracious with your time. And this was when you were with Thomas Jefferson. You came in and talked to my team. and I think everyone was like inspired because of the great things that you were doing at TJ and what you had done previous to that. So it was great. So that's how we met. We've remained connected through the last few years through the pandemic and and whatnot. And I've watched some of the great things that you're doing now. At Common Spirit. So, one of the things that Neil, one of the things that everyone wants to know first off, though, is what's on your playlist. What kind of music do you jam to?
0: <laughs> it's different kinds of music. Music has been part of my life. You know, I sing also professionally and uh, play the guitar. So, so it's an important part of my life, a creative release many times. But uh, the songs on my playlist. It varies right now. Since we are talking about healthcare, I would say probably U2 I was also in, in Dublin a week or so ago. And so U2 is on my mind. Thinking about consumers in healthcare, I would say still haven't found what I'm looking for the song, you know. <laughs> and thinking about consumers during COVID, I would say where the streets have no name because, you know, we kind of moved to that kind of uh, way of working. But ultimately, I think the goal of healthcare experience in a positive way is is best described by Queen when they say, we will rock you. So that's also on my mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I love it. Yeah. And someday, you know, it's interesting because many of our guests are musicians. It's, it's kind of interesting. You know, I would say like half Megan, I'm guessing, are singers, are writers, are play guitar. So oh, someday we'll bring everyone back together. And we'll do a little jam session or something, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Neil, I know that you're a very mission-oriented type of person. What is your passion in life or life message or mantra that, that kind of keeps you focused?
0: I've seen this happen in my lifetime, you know, and so uh, so I feel very firmly and I believe very firmly that each one of us can change the world for the better in just this one lifetime that we have. But in order to do it, we must act now and very deliberately and uh, decide to focus our energies in specific areas that we can bring about change effectively. And the way to do it, I feel, is via service, innovation, experience, design, you mentioned earlier, and transformation. And truly, Ed, you are a great example of this mantra. I don't know how you do it all, but you do it all at the same time. <laughs> I've seen you in performance sports and at the same time helping people out. It's just, uh, just amazing. Thank you for what you do.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. and I, It's a tribute to my team and, and why I have no hair. <laughs> that's awesome. So tell us a little bit about your story, Neil, both personally and professionally. You have a very interesting
0: background, and I think people want to know about it. Ah, uh, yeah, it's um. I tell my kids I've seen technology evolve from the stone age into uh, <laughs> into where we are now and they're looking to the future even more exciting places because I come from a very different background. You know, I'm originally from Goa in India and uh you know we started out with no telephones in the home and i was young and then we get a telephone that sits there for many years does nothing it's just great to have the device and then finally get it connected and then nobody uses it they just start getting on cell phones you know <laughs> so so we made those kinds of uh, technological quantum leaps what i feel like has really inspired me in my life is uh, many things apart from my background it's also the people in my life my mom who was always a school teacher you know taught me how to teach and uh, connect with people, taught me entrepreneurship by giving me little jobs from her school, you know, that I had to do, including teaching her students sometimes on Saturdays when I used to finish school early and, and the government school she worked in didn't. It, it went all, all the way. My dad, uh, you know, thought, taught me that uh, technology is the way of the future. You know, he would always get the latest stuff as much as he could afford to. And then uh, he inspired us by that, something new. I mentioned music before, you know, and uh, I feel like that has always been my creative space—a place that I can go to when things are hard, when I want to express myself, and uh, so um, and, and do it in a way that's also connected to performance, variation, uniqueness, engagement. I think it, that's helped me build those things in myself. Yeah, I've experienced, you know, life in different in different ways. When I was at uh, the Tata Group of companies in India, helping them build a company. That ultimately became the world's largest developer of custom e-learning applications. So when I was in digital learning at the time, so a different industry in digital, I really learned the value of design, you know, of how to rise out of situations that are very challenging. You know, I worked in Bombay, uh, lived near a slum and uh, and commuted through some of the worst traffic in the world, <laughs> pollution and all of that. And so really hard parts of life that I feel have enriched me and that experience has when I went through this industry of digital learning, I really saw a complete evolution slash revolution, you know, and where we are today as a result of that. Uh, you know, even what we are doing right now across these compression or video audio compression technologies, we built those in education many years ago to serve that purpose. And now they're used everywhere. It's it's really, really positive to see, a, a really enriching and satisfying to see how that industry evolved even before COVID and became this this space where we can we can communicate, we can learn from anywhere, you know. We can get a, a Harvard Business School certificate from uh, being in uh, in India, you know. It's it's I think a great thing. There's the same fears I think initially, you know, that healthcare has right now What will happen to us as large institutions, but we somehow pulled ourselves out of that in education, and uh, you know, everybody's still around. But they have evolved tremendously I think the same thing will happen in in digital health so when I got into digital health I saw the similarities which is why I wanted to get into the space you know early stages and comparison seemed the same you know as digital education same fears but a lot of people optimistic about the future people that really want to serve other people and do it in new and different ways and that's what inspired me I think, that has also inspired my thinking around how to change. I've done some degrees in my life, <laughs> academic degrees, but one that has influenced me tremendously is my degree in education, which was focused on instructional design and technology. And so design was an important part of that. My first course was in design and it was all about art and and viewing things in a completely different way. And it taught me that that's really how you change most things is by Taking that design point of view, and I guess we'll talk about that a little bit more as we move forward.
1: No, it's very interesting background, and it, it's I always find it fascinating for individuals that came from places where you didn't have all the advantages that you might have in a you know had you grown up in the United States, as an example, or you know somewhere else. And uh, but it's about the resilience, and, and it goes back to family. To, I love what you talk about with your mom and dad, and it's just uh, very inspiring. Just you know, your story is similar, and I know we've talked about my wife Simran before, but kind of a similar story for her. So it's it's cool. And then you learn from other industries, and you bring it over to healthcare. It's very powerful. So if you dig into your titles, I mentioned them earlier, but if you dig into the second level of your titles as well, you talk a lot about experience, and you talk a lot about human experience, consumer experience. And obviously what you just shared on how you evolved to this point through education system. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Has it been intentional with your job titles and the jobs that you've searched out and how has it played out for you in those organizations? You know, just that whole focus on experience and design. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Glad to elaborate. um, Yeah. I've I've always tried to keep my uh, title and what I'm doing very, very clear to people so that they understand that. So when I was at Jefferson, I was uh, the chief digital officer but the EVP of digital and technology innovation and consumer experience so people understood exactly what we were focused on at Common Spirit, it's uh, the SVP for digital and human experiences and that's because i firmly firmly believe that you know there's tremendous value and loyalty that can be realized at the confluence of human and digital experiences and not as a replacement. I don't feel like digital needs to replace human experiences. In fact, we have to enable and augment human experiences, as in try to get more of the human connection into the interactions that we sometimes not control, but enable through digital technologies. I'm a technologist you know, up here, but my heart is really in design and creativity. And this, I think leads me to believe that we must use technology not to replace humans, but to augment, enable the human connection. Uh, I think this worked well in education. You know, I recently, well, about two years ago, I completed a degree. I like to keep learning. So uh, this was my second MBA, but uh, I did it in a different context as an executive MBA. And I did it with Brown and IE Business School. Now, IE Business School is in Madrid, Spain, you know, and somehow they managed both experiences with virtual in between, and did that in a way that enriched a lot of people's lives and, um, and and hopefully will change a lot of things in the world from these from these folks working in different environments. I think it it's worked really well in education, but I've seen it work well really in healthcare too. You know, many years ago when I came to the US, the first doc that treated me, you know, the first day that I just lucked out, I guess, the first day I went to him, the first time I went to him, he asked me a lot of questions. I was why is he asking me all these questions? Where am I from? You know, what do? What exactly is the place that I'm from? Why is my name the way it is? You know, if I'm from India, and I told him about Goa and the Portuguese connection and such, and then the second time I went to him, he had read about everything about Goa, about my background. What are the standard ailments there? You know, what kind of foods? What's in those foods? And he spoke to me with a knowledge that even I probably didn't have (laughs) living there for 20 plus years. And that immediately set a connection for me, you know, because this person created a partnership with me and taking interest, personalizing my care. And he didn't even use technology to do it. Yes, probably to research using Google, but not the traditional technologies we use in healthcare and wouldn't be wonderful if we enabled that type of thing, just normally in our journeys in healthcare.
1: That's fascinating. One thing I want to call out that you mentioned is continuous learning. So a lot of times people listen to the podcast and they're like, "I want to be like Neil or who you know whoever our guests are." And so it's really important if you want to be like that person, you can mimic or copy some of the positive traits. And one of those are, is your orientation towards uh, continuous learning. So because a lot of people, right at this point, you could you could rest on your laurels if you will and and be super continue to be super successful and continue to expand your career but you've decided no i want to keep learning uh, so that's pretty cool so i know that at common spirit health there is very ambitious in terms of what you're trying to do in and i know for you you know it's leading digital transformation for the communities to drive real change can you give a couple of examples about what you all are doing there to enable that sort of change
0: yeah i'll keep it a little generic the work that we do within our teams is, uh, again, very focused on enabling human connection through the digital work that we do. I believe uh, experiences are key to healthcare, you know, as they were in education. We are nowhere close in healthcare, though. So the, the kind of the story that I just told you about uh, my PCP, the first PCP I had here in the U.S., we still haven't figured that out and how to operationalize those types of things within Within healthcare, and to some extent, we have to. I don't think it has to be made mechanical in any way, but I think you know we have to at least enable it. At Common Spirit, what we've done is we've we've taken this mindset and created a framework out of it. So, um, so we have four areas that my teams focus on. That's digital patient experience, the uh, care provider experience, because I feel like that's very important also to make sure that we don't just take care of our patients, but also of our care providers, because we're asking them to do a lot, and a lot of it's new. And then we also take care of the virtual health experience. And we call all of these things experiences. I'll explain why. And uh, finally, uh, the digital therapeutics experience, which has become really important now, especially with COVID, to be able to take care of people wherever they might be. We call all of these experiences because we like to start with uh, journeys and building journeys, typical journeys of our patients into uh, different areas, different ways they would like to interact with us, based on conditions, based on just the way they came in, maybe through a payer, through another referral. You know, that's uh, something that, that we try to at least build a map of. Then we take those journey maps and then try to build them into holistic experiences. We don't do that very well in healthcare, where we drop people off very often through an entire process. And sometimes we've, now we've started to connect some of those pretty well with digital But many times we still drop them off in places that they don't understand. You know, it's like uh, if you had to visualize it in your mind, it would be like, you know, you asked Google Maps for directions to a certain place and all it gave you was the first ride. (laughs) And then you go figure out from that point on, we don't do that, right? So, So that's what healthcare to some extent is to a lot of people. And I personally believe that experience if done right is really the future driver of extreme value in healthcare because nobody's really done it absolutely right. We focus on touch points in healthcare. We measure by those touch points, you know, discharge or entry or access and sometimes even loyalty uh, with some organizations starting to adopt NPS and such. But we don't really look at the holistic experience and own it and then measure towards that and then infuse that experience with things that are important to us important to our mission and our vision for the future and that's what we're trying to do here
1: yeah that's that's very true that we tend to focus on certain things that are important to us from a caregiver or provider centric point of view and it's like this episode this single episode but we never think about it from a patient where you have to tie those episodes together so that's really really uh, powerful insights the other thing, you know, Neil, you mentioned virtual care. So I'm just curious on your opinion, just generally, not common spirit, but generally. I was kind of surprised, taken back by how we went back to sort of traditional healthcare. care. So generally speaking, these are general statistics. You know, you can find some that are maybe a little bit different. But, you know, we went from 1% virtual care, like telemedicine visit, video visit. And then through the pandemic, you know, some organizations went 85%. You know, let's just say the average was 50%. And since then, we've seen a a retreat. And now I think some of the latest stats I saw were around 10%. And I I was a little surprised that the consumers didn't demand continuation and that providers were really interested in encouraging that. What do you think is the reason for that? And what do you think the future might be?
0: Yeah, I mean, it comes where we went from, I don't think anyone was really measuring even how many, but I don't think it was a lot maybe in the single digit thousands, virtual visits, 2.4, 2.5 million now, you know, in the last two years and a few months. So so it was a tremendous increase. But yes, you're right. We are seeing also, you know, it's definitely not what it was at its peak, which was 40% at one point for us. And this is not counting phone calls or anything. So this is just across Zoom and connected to the EHRs. I'm seeing this and I, I recognize it in the industry also because, I apply a parallel even in, in digital education always to try and understand some of these things. And uh, and we've, uh, I've seen that kind of uh, movement in digital education too. Ultimately, I think it's about relationships. And I feel right now what we're seeing is providers wanting to have that connection again with their patients because they feel like it's not as personal as it was before. So I see healthcare institutions pulling back some of the people that would like to come in but over time, since everybody almost has got a taste of what this is and also the benefits of it personally, I think this will be one of those choice situations where people will make choices based on whether you provide this service or not. And that brings about a conundrum that we have to fix because as the folks who wrote economics always say, you know, follow the incentive right and so in healthcare we have a lot of different incentives and sometimes we have to create new incentives to make things work but always there has to be an incentive for anything to work right and we have great incentives that are built in in healthcare like just providers wanting to help people why they got into doing what they were doing but there has to be good fiscal incentive too to in order to sustain and i think that's something we have to ensure happens for telehealth visits or virtual visits, as we call them. But one other aspect I think that gets missed out a lot, and I don't think this is going away, and I'm not seeing a reduction of it, is the use of virtual in acute and post-acute and community health settings. Or pop health, as we call it. So I think that has increased tremendously. People have built new services like virtual ICU services, replaced one-on-one sitter services with virtual companion type of services. A lot of that has happened that has pretty much gone under the radar from people measuring the change. But I think that's going to keep going up in the virtual health space. In the acute space, I mean,
1: no, that's a good point. It goes back, as you mentioned, to incentives, and as we go more toward value-based care, population health, those technologies will continue to be uh, leveraged. And I do take encouragement from that. And also, as a good friend of ours, CIO at Mayo Clinic, he always would remind me, Ed, even if it's ten percent, you know, going back to the outpatient virtual visits, it's ten times more than what it was. (laughs) Yes, it's definitely improvement, and sometimes that's the way change happens. There's a big catalyst for change. There's a a, a retreat, and then you know we get better in our design, in our experience, and in different things. And uh, I think we'll see it increase, but definitely on the on the area in the areas that you mentioned. I want to talk one more question around leadership, really quick, and then I want to move a little bit more into design, a little bit deeper, because design. I mean, you explained it a little bit about some of the process that you might take for experience, but I think it's still for some people. Uh, maybe a little bit, you know, nebulous. You know, they don't truly understand it. Uh, but on leadership, you already answered one of the questions, and that's, you know, what are some things you do? You continue to educate yourself, which is so key. It's a very simple thing to do, but very few people do it. it uh, there's not enough time to go into it, but I have got some definite opinions on that. But what about for for those who might be younger in their career and they look at a Neil and they look at a common spirit, you know, a big health system or it doesn't have to be a big health system, but a hospital. And they're like, I, I would like to be a leader someday and lead digital, lead transformation. So in addition to Neil education and continuous education, what are some other things that you might say as encouragement? Okay.
0: Firstly, be ready for disappointment because not all of your ideas will catch on. Okay. But also, don't let that define who you are and what you do. be brave, be bold, be resilient and gritty you know believe in yourself, stay true to your values and then ultimately perform. You can't just do all of the above and then not perform. You have to put yourself out there just like a musician does. It's scary many times <laughs> you know you worry if what it might be like if you fail but don't worry about that. And then as you work and as you deliver, I think you need to inspire with passion. You know, if you don't believe it, others are not going to believe it. I think you need to lead with integrity, you know, so that you are staying true to values of some sort, right? And then people understand what those values are and know how to work with you. I think you need to follow and not always lead, okay? Follow sometimes and learn by following, Transform for sure as much as you can, but also be transformed. Either through education, looking at other experiences, considering other perspectives. However rich your perspectives might be, uh, always be humble about it and learn from things. And then embrace change. You know, uh, there's to be a I used to put up a slide always in my presentations that said, "Who wants change?" And there's all these people raising their hands. Right? Everybody wants change. You want the new iPhone or whatever. The next question is, who wants to change? And then there's a lot fewer hands, right? You know, it's like a third of the place. And then who wants to lead change? And pretty much there's like flies buzzing above everyone. No one's raising their hands. And because it is scary, it is hard. But if you think agile, crawl, pivot, walk, pivot, run, pivot, you know, you can manage it. And then uh, always try to recognize opportunities. That's the last thing I'll say, Uh, especially those hidden as challenges. Many times, you know, the obstacle is the way, as Ryan Holiday said in his book. You know, taking from the teachings of Marcus Aurelius. You know, so I think it's uh, it's extremely important to to be able to do that. But to do that, you have to be calm, and uh, you have to have a passion and a fire burning inside of you. There is a
1: lot a lot of wisdom there, Neil, in the last uh, two minutes in answering <laughs> that question. You you I wrote down like about ten different 10 different things, and they're all good and they're all right. And and seriously, if, for our listeners, if if you would just embrace some of those things that Neil's talked about, you will find a path similar to Neil and others, because very few people do them. I mean, it sounds so natural, and people probably listen to it and say, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. But to your point, Neil, if you really challenge yourself, like, am I really doing that? Am I really being bold? Am I really taking risks? Am I am I really being resilient? Am I following, right? That's a hard thing for people who are wired as leaders. It's like sometimes you got to follow. I mean, that's, that's just straight out awesome advice. So- Thank you for that. So, I want to transition the last couple of minutes a little bit deeper on design. So, you know, when people say design thinking and things like that, I just want to, I just want to talk about design. It's just kind of a free-flowing conversation. Your thoughts on design and and what it means for those who might not understand, and you know, what makes it different than the things that we've tried in the past.
0: And it comes really down to that for me. Design is about finding what the real problem is. I think of myself as a problem solver. But many times, if you are a problem solver, you really are looking for the problem. And any problem that comes across your lap, you try to solve it. And I think that is dangerous. Design kind of puts that little pause button there and says, wait a minute, did you ask why? And I know if you read the book, uh, uh, you know, the five whys, you know, maybe ask five times or more if you must. And kids do that all the time. Right? <laughs> and I really appreciate that. It tries my patience sometimes. But that's what's really important, especially in healthcare. You know, many times we get approached when people figured out that this is a place to go to solve problems that teams would get approached by folks who come to us with one perspective, not the entire perspective. They are the administrators or clinicians or people on the ground. You, know, you need to be able to, before you solve the problem, find out what the real problem is. And in healthcare, it's many, many times layers down, right? Because otherwise you'll solve the problem and you think you solve the problem. And then a year, or months later, you'll realize you didn't even touch it. And sometimes it scares me when I hear even uh, CEOs of startups come to me and say, you know, I started this company because one day I went to the ER and blah, blah happened. You know, I'm like, oh, my God, I hope you asked other people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you spoke yeah. to more folks. So, So I think that's really at its core. I think another part about design thinking is truly trying to empathize, you know, with the consumer, not sympathy, but empathy is a big difference learn with empathy get insights via observation understand truly understand the consumer in our space when i was at jefferson it really meant and here too it's a little bit harder in the virtual environment but when we were jefferson we asked our developers even uh, yes, we had anthropologists, researchers and the such, but even our developers who are building solutions, we asked them to spend time in the places where their solutions will be used so that they'd actually see what's happening and take a whole day, do that, you know, go out and just sit in the ER or sit in the uh, medical oncology space to see how infusion happens, you know, and then then design solutions for people like that. And I think that's really what design is. And um, and as you said earlier, continuously improving and always simplifying.
1: This is great stuff. We could go on forever. Sadly our time is coming up, so I wanted to just check with you. We've talked about a lot about leadership, we've talked a lot about experience, we talked about design. Is there anything that we may have missed or anything we want to add
0: as we conclude our time today? Well, for folks thinking about a career in digital as well as those that are already in it, I would say Pull yourself out of digital a little bit. Enable human connection mm. within your own teams. Also, uh, you know, be good to your people. Uh, stay true to them. Also, represent the consumer. Uh, try to enable relationships and true caring. I've seen the best outcomes in places where even the front desk person just cared so much about the people that were coming to that clinic, let's say, remember their birthdays, remember to send them a wheelchair at the valley. you know, when they were coming up. And that just makes people feel so human, you know, at many times the worst times of their lives. And if we can enable that with digital and technology, we should do that. I think you said it, Ed, you know, learn, learn, learn about design, learn about designing experiences, add value to whatever you're doing, and then firmly believe that you can be the change you want to see. And doing that, I think, uh, make a big difference. And healthcare needs that at this point.
1: One of the blessings of hosting this podcast is to have guests like yourself where I learn so much. So we talk about continuous learning. Wow. I took so many notes. I mean, we don't do a visual for this, but you, you can see this. Uh, my uh, papers are full of tons of notes. I learned so much from you. It was just packed full of good stuff, good wisdom. Uh, And I love how you brought it all back to the human connection. It really isn't about the tech. We know tech is the enabler and helps, but it's really about that human connection. You use that in the very beginning in your introduction, talking about your parents, talking about your experiences in education. And that's how you ended with as well. I I can't think of a better explanation point! So, Neil, thank you so much for being our guest. It is truly a pleasure to have you.
0: Thank you very much, Ed. Thank you, Megan, too. Thank you for having me. All
1: right, that concludes Digital Voices. We'll talk to you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Martin. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.